Let the last song be a challenge to us all. That we don't play church. We don't act like we go to church. We don't just are placeholders here in chairs. We're not doing a duty. But let us not act like he's really not in this room right now. That whatever we do, whatever we take from today, that we can look into his face. We don't just look past him. We don't act like he doesn't really exist here. Because if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we just come to church and we're like, oh, I did that thing. Spent that hour. And we go on with our week and act like nothing really happened. But we have a chance. We have an opportunity. We have the, the time for engagement to look into God's face. It doesn't just have to happen here at church, but anytime we come in contact with our wonderful, good, good Father. We're going to be in Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8 today. Uh, if you don't know where Judges is, you can no shame in looking uh, in the table of contents for Judges, okay? So it's right after the, the, the Torah, and it's right before 1 Samuel. You're like, thanks, Jared, that helps a lot. Look at the table of contents, okay? Uh, so I think it's the sixth, seventh, seventh book of the Bible, and uh, right after Joshua where we were last week. Uh, so there you go. Judges 6, 7, and 8. Judges is a crazy book of the Bible. It has some very interesting stories. So if you have a teenage boy, okay, and, or, you know, or just a, a young guy who likes Power Rangers or whatever, um, check out Judges with them. Uh, check out First Samuel with them. Um, read Judges before you read it to your kid, because it might be a chapter you don't want to read to him yet. Um, but check it out. There's all kinds of fun superhero type mo- moments in these books. And I remember when uh, my mom read me the Bible in second and third grade that I was just like, what? That's in there? He did what with an ox code? What's an ox code? But it sounded cool. Uh, so, you know, it's just the way that judges works. Uh, our men's ministry went through judges in a life group time period one time. Uh, just, and it was kind of like, what? These people are weird. Uh, yes, some weird things happen, uh, but it's very interesting. Judges happens in a time period in the Bible. Joshua's happened. So what you're having basically is, is kind of two separate invasions of the promised land. Joshua comes in with a whole united army. They come in, they take key cities. And then basically after they've taken these key cities, Joshua says, all right, guys, the big time invasion's over. Let's go and take over our areas. You take this, you take this, you take this, you take this. Go team. All right, that's... that's in there. Okay. That's, that's Joshua. Um, <clears throat> Judges is a couple hundred years after that where the people have kind of, they didn't do what they were told. They didn't go and take the areas. They kind of like, hi, we're neighbors now. Well, it's, that's, that seems nicer than coming in, moving into a neighborhood and be like, oh, y'all are out now, uh, or I'm going to kill you and your chickens. Uh, so, uh, but that's what they were supposed to do. But what happens is they intermarry with people. Uh, they don't believe like them. All the things that God has spent 40 years investing in them telling, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Don't do this. They're like, okay, but that's hard. So we're going to go to the easy way. And it lands them in a whole heap of trouble. And so Judges is really a book about heap of trouble. All right, when you didn't do, when you weren't obedient to the God's calling on your life, the training for 40 years, uh, this is what happens. These are the results. And so judges really are, when you hear the word judge, it's not, uh, they did have a, <laughs> a judging form like we see it today, uh, you know, the gavel type, bringing discernment and, and decisions on certain aspects. But more, they were, um, as we understand it, they'd be a little bit more like warlords and tribal leaders 
that would kind of, an issue would come into their area, maybe northern Israel or southern Israel, and wherever they were kind of living, and they would rise up and say, no, that's not going to happen here. Uh, We're going to do uh, something different. Um, judges kind of operated as Clint Eastwood in old Western uh, movies. You know, he was, he, they, they would walk, they'd come into town, the people would rally, and they would, uh, they would throw out their, their invaders, the, the mean cattle herders or whatever. And so what we're going to talk about today is Gideon, and this is kind of actually what happens uh, in, Gideon, in the story of Gideon that we're going to talk about today. But before we get there, we're going to be answering this simple question. It's a question that we all have. It's not really simple. It's a very difficult question. But it's a question when we're faced with, with adversity in life, when we're faced with, with things in life, whether that's with our family or with our job or with um, just anything, even faith issues in our life, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to get through this? Do I have what it takes to, to take my family to the next level? Do I have what it takes to, to start this new business? Do I have what it takes to, to get this promotion? Do I have what it takes to follow God? Do I have what it takes to talk to the person at Mariano's about Jesus? Do I have what it takes to invite my family member to church? Do I have what it takes not to kill my teenager? Uh, do I have what it takes to, to, to get through these things? Do I have what it takes to have a baby and not be able to sleep ever? Do I have what it takes? And it's a question we all have to ask ourselves. And a lot of times it's like, no, I don't have what it takes. Make it easier. Right? We, that's, a, that's a legitimate answer to, to some of our, no, no, I don't, I don't want what it takes. That seems hard. I just want the easy road. But the answer to the question, do I have what it takes? And Gideon speaks into this today. And God speaks through Gideon for this. Because if there was ever a guy in the Bible who really kind of didn't have what it took, Gideon's the guy. And he gets three chapters in the Bible. Three. Judges is set up really weird. There's two colossal weirdos in, well, three, but two that we're going to talk about today. Two colossal weirdos in Judges. Samson, we know this story. Weird, weird guy. Messes up all the time. And Gideon, kind of a weird guy. Questions God all the time. Doesn't have any faith. Kind of a scaredy cat. And they get between them six chapters of a book. There's guys in there that are amazing. All we get is one sentence, right? Those poor guys, they get one sentence. I bet their story's real cool. I bet they didn't doubt God at all. I bet they had some really cool testimonies. We don't get anything from them. Instead, we get the really weird Gideon stories and Samson stories. So once again, this was written by God because he's going to show people in their weirdest and most fallen senses. If it was written by man, we'd skip a guy named Gideon, we'd, especially the end part of Gideon. We'd skip Samson. So this is one of the ways. How do you know the Bible is written uh, divinely inspired by God? Because he shows people at their worst. And not, the heroes got a lot of, uh, the heroes usually have a bunch of problems. There we go. Okay. So answering this question, do we have what it takes? Judges 6, 11 to 12. This is where we meet Gideon. The angel of the Lord came down and sat under the oak tree in Ophrah. That's not Oprah. It's Ophrah. <clears throat> All right. That belonged to jo, uh, Joash, the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press, underlined wine press, to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Where is he at? He is threshing wheat in a wine press. 
There is a problem with this. You thresh wheat on top of a mountain on a hill where there's lots of wind because how you thresh wheat is you, you, you do it yourself or you get an ox to do it, and they beat the tar out of the wheat or barley or whatever they've got, got going on there. Then you throw it up in the air with a winnowing fork, and the wind takes away the chaff. It takes away the junk. If you are in a wine press, there is no wind. You are down in a ditch somewhere in a wine press, probably in a grove under an oak tree. You're, you're shaded. He's hiding and doing the threshing. He's like, shh, wait, be quiet. And so this is not the most productive thing because what is going on here? What is happening? In uh, Judges 6, 1 through 6, it sets the stage. The Israelites have been all kinds of messy. They've not been listening to what God has said. And now uh, the Midianites are just wrecking shop with them. The Midianites, well, here's the scripture. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord in the seven years he gave them into the hands of Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped in the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. They did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites, they cried out to the Lord for help. So it's a scorched earth policy. Whenever they see them start to plant crops, they're like, ah, let's just go do a happy dance on their, on their crops. And so they just come in routinely, come in and destroy it. Destroy it. Israel is not a fertile area. We could grow as many crops in your backyard as Israel can in the whole stinking country. Okay? If there is only very select places where you can grow something. So it wasn't like they were searching all over Will County for, for cornfields. It was, oh, you know what? There's that one spot they can plant some wheat. We're going to go there and we're going to mess it up. It's a desert. The nicest part is a nice desert. Okay, so they don't have sprinkler systems. This is not irrigated well. It is a desert. And so they knew where to go, and they would just continually destroy the root of the economy of the Israelites. They are oppressed so far that they are running to caves to hide from them. Do you guys get the desperation in this? Right? So this is where Gideon is found in this. See, a great lie has been told to us. We talked about this last week. We're going to talk about it again today. A great lie has been told to us that if it's from God, it will be easy. Gideon is getting called into a lifestyle that's not easy. His life is not easy. He is threshing wheat in a wine press. This is not optimal conditions. But then the second thing is true. Whenever God is up to something, it always requires our participation. God is going to use Gideon in crazy, wonderful, beautiful ways. Whenever God is up to something, it is always requires our participation. The thing about this, I, I see this, this verse, uh, Hey, you mighty warrior, that the angel of the Lord says to Gideon. And I don't know if Gideon, Gideon probably didn't believe this, like, I can extrapolate that he didn't believe that he was a mighty warrior. He's sitting there under a tree, threshing the wheat, and the angel of the Lord speaks life and encouragement into him. Now, sometimes if I'm in a feisty mood, I think the angel of the Lord's being sarcastic. But I really think that, that God sees 
who Gideon can be, even when Gideon can't see it himself. And maybe that's where you're at today. You don't see yourself as a mighty warrior. You don't see yourself having what it takes to get through whatever you're facing in life, whatever Midianites are coming and attacking you and sending you packing to the caves. You don't see yourself having that kind of strength. But God sees you and says, hey, you mighty warrior. Hey, you. I see you. I see what you're capable of. I see what you can do. I see how you can rise above this. I see how you can lead through this. Hey, you mighty warrior. It's not going to be easy. The people are broken. And what Gideon is asked to do is a large and crazy task. Gideon is actually studied at, in military schools around the, the world of tactics of how he fights these battles. Gideon is revolutionary, and he's like the inventor of guerrilla warfare here. He is going to invent a whole new way of fighting these Midianites, and it's amazing. He, he overcomes huge, huge, huge odds. But Gideon has some reservations. See, Gideon has some questions about God, and as he is sitting there looking in, in his wine press, he's like, God, I don't... I don't know if you know this, but uh, we're not the strongest militarily. I don't, I don't know if you've been watching, but those Midianites come in and kick our rears every other month. I don't know if you've been watching. They steal our sheep and our cattle and their camels just ruin everything. So I, I, don't, know, I, don't, God, I don't know if your, your, your glasses are broken. I don't know what's going on, but you're not watching the same world that I'm watching because in the world I'm living in, we're getting our rears kicked. So I don't know what's going on. And so he actually, uh, he kind of gets feisty with God and tests God. It's like, I don't know if you've been paying attention, God, but I don't know if you're that powerful because right now this isn't going so well for us. And I used to and still have problems with Gideon. Gideon is my least, one of my least favorite Bible characters in, in the Bible. Can I say that? Is that okay to say I don't like somebody in the Bible? I don't like, I don't like Gideon. I'm, I'm, I'm like frustrated with Gideon that he gets space in the Bible, frustrated with Gideon that like there was, there was three more chapters I could have learned about David, who is my favorite character, right? Come on, that's, that's three more chapters Jesus could have gotten. That's three more chapters. You know, somebody, somebody else could have gotten. And I started thinking about it. And I was preparing the message this week, and I got very convicted about this, that I am way more like Gideon than I'm comfortable with. And I am way more like Gideon, and that might be why I don't really like him so much in the Bible. So you can say, well, that's the pastor's problem. That's not my problem. I never question God or need a fleece or need, you know, need a sign that something's going to go this way. I, that's not you. That's me, right? Okay. You guys can have clear consciences on all that. <clears throat> Judges 6.36 says this, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel my hand, by my hand as you have promised... Look, <laughs> so he's like, okay, if you're going to do this whole thing, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor, and if there is dew on the fleece and all the ground is dry, I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is, oh, sorry, and that is what happened. Gideon rose the next day, he squeezed the fleece, wrung it out, and, and dew came out of it in a bowl full of water. That wasn't good enough for Gideon. He's like, okay, well, that was kind of a freaky thing. All right. And Gideon said, don't be angry with me, but uh, let me make one more request. Allow one more test with the fleece. 
but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered in dew. So that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered with dew. See, he's testing God. He's got questions. How is this going to work? How do I know you're with me? How do I know I'm not going to get in the middle of the battle and you're just going to go whoop? And I'm like, uh-oh. How do, I, how do I know? How do I know this is not, I mean, I'm alive, so things could get worse, right? Like he, things, if you're hiding in cave for your life, things are pretty bad, but you're still alive, so things could get worse. He's like, okay, God, uh, how is this whole thing going to work? He has questions. Why me? Are you really powerful enough? I think it's some of the same questions in the reservations we have about God when he speaks into our own lives and asks us to do something, whether that's something small in our family or something on a grand scale. It's the same questions. God, I don't know where you're at. What's going on? Are you powerful enough to do this? Here's a truth for you this morning. If he has called you, you are qualified. He is with you. If he has called you, you are qualified. Congratulations, you just graduated with a God degree. If he has called you, you are qualified. There's not a stipulation to that. If you look we, in our men's group, Chris Cox comes to our men's group, which is awesome to have a, a student in there. And he comes to our, to, is a, he comes to our men's group and he's sitting there and it's a great object lesson because we're talking about John. And every once in a while, we'll talk about a disciple and the ages of the disciples. Well, it's real easy for a group of guys who are, you know, 30s to 40s going, oh, yeah, they're all our age, right? That makes sense. No, they're Chris's age. They're 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old boys that are going to change the world. And Jesus is looking at them going, all right, knuckleheads, you've got what it takes. You're going to change the world. You're going to do this thing. If he has called you, you are qualified. Second thing today is even if something looks impossible, if it's from God, nothing is impossible. Even if something looks impossible, if it's from God, it is nothing is impossible. God is going to use getting to do some amazing, amazing, amazing things. And it would be amazing if you could take on the Amalekites and the Midianites. Um, with the full army of Israel. And so Gideon sends out the call. I don't know if he plays the horn of Gondor or whatever. And everybody comes. Um, we weren't expecting that this morning, were you? It's day after auction. Anything can happen. Uh, so he, they call out and, and the people start coming. 32,000 men show up to fight. 32,000 men show up. This is in Judges chapter 7. But 32,000 men show up. And Gideon's like, whoa, we got an army. Let's go, boys. This makes sense. And God's like, whoa, 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 you got too many guys. What? <laughs> Can you imagine this conversation? I haven't got, no, 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 no. You're too prepared right now. I don't, I, I want, I, I want to, I want to be prepared, God. I don't like threshing stuff in the wine press. And God says, uh, tell any of them if they're any scared at all go, to go home. So 20,000 people leave. Whoa. Got 10,000 left. God looks at Gideon. He says, uh, I guess I still got too many. I'm bad cell phone reception, God. Because <laughs> what I thought I, you had said was that there was too many. Yeah, yeah, there's too many. Uh, take them down to the river. 
and whoever laps it up like a dog, those are the guys we want. If they take the time to hook up the water, uh, go ahead and send them home. All right. That's really odd. I wonder what the conversation was like. That's an odd request, God. And he's like, yeah, right. You made me do weird things with a fleece, so shut up. And, you know, I don't know how, how, that, <laughs> how that conversation went. I also had the thought this week, I had the thought this week, if Gideon would have trusted God uh, immediately, right, and just said, okay, God, let's go do this thing, instead of doing the fleece stuff, would God have put him through this ringer? Like, would have God have said, uh, okay, 32,000, we can do it with that. But instead, because he didn't trust God at first, God's like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test you now here, buddy. And maybe there's some of that for us to, to kind of chew on for a bit. So he takes 300. And the 300 go and have this amazing victory and, and free the people. And they do all these kind of night attacks. And we're not going to get all into the military tactics of the thing. But basically what they do is they scare the bejeebus out of the Midianites and the Amalekites. They run away in fear and there's these huge victories. And now they've set uh, the northern part of Israel free. This is how God works in him. He, gives him, he says, you have what it takes to lead the people through impossible odds. Even if something looks impossible, if it's of God, nothing is impossible. One of the things I've been working with on thinking about Gideon and God lately, especially this story, is the questions that Gideon asks. That he, 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 is, he is free to come back to God and say, I don't know, God, how's that going to work? How's this going to work? How, what, what does that look like? What, is this, what does this mean? And it's, it's these questions. And sometimes when we have questions of God, we, we feel maybe like we're disrespectful. We, we feel like, oh, I can't ask a question of God. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't work. It's okay to ask questions of God. It's what you do with the answers that matter. Okay? This is incredibly important because there's so many of us that ask questions of God. And maybe we get the answers back from God or we don't, we don't hear what we're looking for and we just walk away from God instead of dealing with the answers that we've gotten. It is perfectly fine to ask questions of God. In fact, he wants you to ask questions of him. It's what you do with the answers that matter. Example, this happens in your house. It happens in my house. Bowen walks home. He walks in the door. We let him play for a little bit. All right, buddy, it's time for homework. It's homework time at our house. Kelly's sighing right now. Bowen starts working on the, on the homework. I don't understand it. You've never had that happen at your house, right? I don't understand it, which means do it for me, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? That's what that means. That means uh, do it for me. Um, I don't understand it, which is code for do it for me. We respond, and this is usually, I, I'll do it every once in a while, but I, I really enjoy watching Kelly deal, deal with this because Bowen deals with this process exactly like I did. And so I just find it funny, and she finds it infuriating. Oops. Uh, so, um, which we respond with, well, what do the instructions say? Kelly gets her teacher voice out, and she does the thing, and, and Bowen's like, I don't know what the instructions say. It's stupid. It does this. No, 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 no. Math is for numbers, not for English. I shouldn't have to write in math. He said that, and I said, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so this is why I walk out of the room, because I'm not helping. Um, 
<laughs> my mom and father are just like, oh, what did we do? Uh, at this point, when we say, hey, let's read these instructions, at this point, he gets really upset. After he's even read the instructions, he gets irate, like almost tears or tears. And just, you can tell his body language changes. He gets really tense and it goes, and then Kelly responds with getting really tense and trying not to strangle him. And I sit in the corner and go. (laughs) But this is what happens every time. Oh, not every time, but every time there's an attitude problem, this is what happens. After he gets through this, after he has his moment of anger, after he has his moment of confusion or frustration, and he can pull his head out of the problem he just created for himself, and he goes back and he reads the instructions, he gets the problem done in about five seconds. Whoop, done. Got it. Nailed it. Drew my picture. Wrote my sentence. I'm done. Here's the point. It's exactly how you and I deal with issues with God. It's exactly the same way. We go to God. I don't understand. Do it for me. Wiki, wiki, fix it. (laughs) Right? Because that's what our prayers in time. I need you to fix this moment. I need you to do this thing. And God's like, well, let's look at it. Let's read the instructions. No, I wanted you to do it. You're God. It sounds like you're ordering me around and I don't work at McDonald's. Right? Because that's how this is how this faith thing works. We yell at God, hey, I need you to do this thing. And God's like, well, let's read the instructions. I want you to do it. And we go, I don't understand the Bible. I don't like it. We start pouting. We get mad and we want to take our ball and we want to go home. We get mad and God doesn't listen to me. He doesn't care about me. And we get really agitated and people turn away from God at this point. I'm making it childish because sometimes it really is childish. And we walk away from God, just like we did in algebra when we were a sophomore. What we have to do is reset, learn some stuff, ask more questions. I don't understand this why. What does this mean? What does that mean for me, God? Read the directions. Read the Bible. This is the difference from someone who has a hobby of being a Christian to one who is trying to be a disciple of Jesus. The very nature of being a disciple is one who asks questions. If you never ask questions of God, what you are doing is making a hobby or becoming a cult follower, not a disciple. Questions are good. Does this make sense? Disciples ask questions because they've got to be able to answer questions later. Jesus' call on all of our lives and all the disciples' lives are to this. Go and make disciples. Our calling is to be a disciple of God, of Jesus, and then go and make more. So to adequately do that, we have to be able to ask hard questions of God and to find the answers. We can't just go to him and say, wiki, wiki, fix it. I don't understand it. Do it for me. That's not how this works. It would be so much easier. My job would be way easier if I just said, hey, ask God for anything, it all of a sudden magically show up on your doorstep. That'd be be awesome. That's not the way this works because we don't order God around. He teaches us. He forms us. he, He shapes us into the people that we can be. Gideon learns this lesson the hard way. Finally, the last lesson one of the tipping points in Gideon's life 
He's done this thing. He's wrestled with God basically his whole life. He's done some boneheaded things, but he's also, he's become the leader that God wanted him to be for a while. But the very end of his life is one of the saddest things that happen in the scripture. Judges 8, 27, 29. Gideon made a goal. He Basically, they want to make Gideon their king. And Gideon rightfully says, no, I'm not going to become your king. But what you can do is you can give me an earring of your bounty. And so the Midianites would, would uh, instead, they didn't have banks apparently. And so what they did with the treasure is they pierced their ears and put gold in their ears. And so um, he said, give me one of their earrings. And so they, everyone took from the, the dead that they killed, they took one earring and placed it in a blanket in front of Gideon. And Gideon melted that down and made a prayer ephod, which is like basically this prayer shawl type thing uh, that you would, I don't know, you, that's what you would wear when you prayed. But what happened was the people made it an idol. And Gideon even made it an idol. Out of the bounty of, of only the power of God gave them, only the power of God, only the direction of God gave them the ability to be set free. Out of that bounty, they made an idol. And we do the same exact thing. We learn from God. We say, oh, we answer those questions. We start operating differently. And then all of a sudden, we turn our lives into a weird way in which we've gotten far away from God again. And even the successes that he's given us, the successes he's enabled us to have, we turn that into an idol, and it brings our downfall. Because this verse, as it finishes, it makes it an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. It became a trap to them. It destroyed them. And it destroyed Gideon and his family. And one chapter later, Gideon has 60 sons. He had several, lots of wives, actually. He has 60 sons. One chapter later, he has one alive who's an outlaw and being chased around. And guess what? It wasn't the Midianites that killed his sons. It wasn't the Amalekites. It wasn't anybody he had war against. It was as Amblekek, his only surviving son, killed the other 59. In one generation, here's a man that's been used by God, who found God underneath a, uh, in a wine press. God used him to make some incredible victories, but he got so caught up in his own success that he made that his God instead of God. There's a lesson to be learned there. That as we lead our families and we lead the people around us, as we have influence, as we try to be disciples of God, how are we leading the people around us? Are we making our own success, God? The results, God? Because what that leads to is a place we do not want to be. If he has called you, you are qualified. He is with you. I want you to take a few of these things with you this morning. Even if something looks impossible, if it's of God, nothing is impossible. It's okay to ask questions of God. It is what you do with the answers that matter. And then finally, make sure you're not creating the stumbling block for your family. It's so easy to blame other things. It's so easy to blame other people. It's so easy to blame the government or the school system or all these other things on why your family's messing up. But when we have to look and ask the questions of ourselves, are we providing the stumbling block?
for our own family. Make sure you can answer that question with no, I'm leading him through, over, and around those stumbling blocks. Examine your relationships that you're sowing right now, uh, right now, the seeds that you are planting in the garden of your life. Are you teaching the right things? Are you rewarding the right things? Are you open to being used by God? Or are you hiding? Are you asking the right questions? And are you listening for the right answers? And finally, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, whatever your sphere of influence, are you leading well? These are hard questions. Maybe they're why I don't like Gideon very much, because it makes me self-examine a lot. There's a lot of truths today packed into these scriptures, truths that we need to apply to ourselves how we deal with wrestling with God, how we deal with asking questions of God, how obedient we are to him, but also how we let him shape us instead of us just say, no, we're right. I'm going to be God, not you. We all struggle with this. We all deal with it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. And thank you for the opportunity to grow in you. Thank you that you are a God who expects, wants and loves our questions. God, that is amazing. That is amazing that you are a God who is is so secure in himself that you would let us ask any questions. And thank you that you're a God that gives us answers. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for opening it to us today. God, we ask you to show us in our lives maybe where we're hiding where we're running from your plan, where we're being disobedient, where we set up our own idols. But God, right here and right now today that you would answer the question, do I have what it takes with a resounding yes, that you are for us, that you call us mighty warrior, that we would feel that call on our lives this morning, that we would have the courage to step out in faith, whether that be our in our family or at our workplace or in our schools or no matter where we're at, that we would feel that courage well up in ours. And that a calling that you gave Joshua so many years ago to be strong and courageous would imprint itself on our minds and our hearts and our souls. That whatever we're facing, whether it's family issues, whether it's, it's friend issues, it's peer pressure, it's, it's whatever that looks like, that we would be strong and courageous. God, we thank you for a call in our life. We thank you that you are for us, not against us. And Lord, we want to move from a place of being, having a hobby of being a Christian to be a full-fledged disciple of you. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen.